Hello everyone and welcome to another installation of the Greenhouse Environmental Humanities Book Talks. Uh, I'm Finar Jørgensen. I'm Dolly Jørgensen. And we are, as usual, your hosts. Uh, and this week uh, we have with us Joanna Page, who's a reader in Latin American Literature and Visual Culture at University of Cambridge. Uh, and she will be talking about her new book, uh, Decolonizing Science in Latin American Art. That's out now in uh, open access with UCL Press. So I'm just going to leave it to you, Joanna, to introduce the book before our discussion. Great. Thank you very much uh, for the invitation. It's, it's fantastic to be here. Um, I'm just going to share my screen with you. Um, hopefully you can all see that. Um, so I'm going to uh, present some of the overall aims of the book um, before talking about the subject of decolonizing science. Um, what I believe that means and, and how I relate that to artistic practice um, in the book. Um, so there's been a recent rise across the world in projects that bring the hard sciences into artistic practice. Um, a lot of scholarship to date has focused on practices that are located in Europe uh, and the Anglophone world. And um, so one of my aims in the book was to bring together a new corpus of contemporary art science projects by Latin American artists. Um, and to understand how they uh, imagine or perform um, the relationship between art and science. Um, combining methods from the arts and sciences allows these projects to create um, new imaginaries for a post-anthropocentric world. And this is a strong theme uh, that runs throughout the book. Um, and a further purpose um, of mine was to explore um, how they allow us to consider points of convergence, but also possibly friction, um, between environmentalism, post-humanism, and decolonial thought um, from a Latin American um, perspective. But, so firstly then, decolonizing science. Um, on this rather busy slide, you can see uh, some of the main ideas that I worked with um, in relation to the concept of decolonizing science. And I'm just gonna pick out a few of these um, to highlight at this point. Um, a key one is the recognition that um, Europe's expansionism um, hasn't only resulted in ecocide, but also in epistemicide, um, as Boaventura de Sousa Santos puts it, um, the systematic destruction um, of other forms of knowledge. Um, decolonizing science means recovering the value of those forms of knowledge that have been discredited. Um, it can also mean acknowledging the roles played by non-Western people in the advance of scientific knowledge. And these roles often have been overlooked or suppressed. Um, and it can also mean an understanding of the ways in which indigenous forms of knowledge might supplement and um, extend or challenge Western theories um, and methodology. Um, the fundamental logic that's underpinned a lot of Western science since the enlightenment um, is one of extraction and abstraction um, of isolating and extracting organisms and forms of matter from their roles within highly integrated communities and ecosystems um, that have evolved together over millions of years. Um, and that logic has given us an image of a nature that is unconnected from us um, as a set of resources that are simply available uh, to be ransacked. Um, and the need to reconnect science with other spheres of knowledge and experience is increasingly being voiced, um, both within Europe um, and beyond. Um, the Belgian philosopher of science, um, Isabel Stengers, 
um, calls for a deep break with the model of science that was forged in the 19th century. And that model promoted, she says, um, as a general ideal, um, the fast cumulative advance of disciplinary knowledge, along with a correlative disregard for any question that would slow this advance down. So Stengers presses for what she calls a slow science um, that would like all slow movements today, such as slow food, slow fashion, and rediscover um, relations that were cut in the name of efficiency. And this would allow for debate on issues that can't be resolved within laboratories, um, but that have to be negotiated with a wide range of stakeholders. Um, Enrique Leff, who's a Mexican economist and environmentalist, um, like many Latin American scholars, emphasizes that the roots of environmental damage are not to be found in ecological issues, um, but in the dominance of rationalism in Western modernity that's divided humans from non-humans, the living from the non-living, um, and it disseminated across the globe its approaches to controlling and commodifying nature. Um, and along with other political ecologists in Latin America, uh, Leff calls for a, a much more transdisciplinary approach to environmental epistemology uh, that would give space to science, but hybridize its approaches with those of other disciplines um, and also with traditional knowledge in order to produce what he calls a, a genuine dialogue of knowledges. Um, and he makes emphasis, as do a number of other scholars from Latin America, um, on the contribution to be made by biocentric philosophies um, that are developed in and around uh, indigenous communities in Latin America. Um, so the central argument of the book really is that art science projects can play a very powerful role in reconnecting science with the world beyond the laboratory. Um, and the, art, the Latin American artists that I've been working on um, don't primarily engage with scientific practices in order to denounce them uh, from a, a political or an ethical perspective so, to say, um, but they do that to expand them uh, and to reconnect them, to bring them back into a relationship with spheres of knowledge and practice beyond the laboratory. Um, so a good example here would be the work of Arte Maciencia. Um, this is a transdisciplinary research collective um, based at uh, the University um, de UNAM in Mexico City. Um, and it's curated exhibitions on the topic of uh, genetically modified maize in Mexico. And for one of these exhibitions, uh, the art collective um, Bios Ex Machina developed their own transgenic variant of a plant. Um, but overall, the purpose of the exhibitions was to show how the use of new biotechnologies raises questions that far exceed the concerns of biologists working in laboratories um, that relate to much broader questions um, to culture, ecology, land use, um, inequality and poverty. Um, so for this reason, um, works taking a scientific approach, uh, such as experiments to detect cross-pollination, uh, were placed alongside other works that were inspired by different kinds of knowledge and experience. So these included textiles produced by a local women's art collective um, that gave a glimpse of the, the very rich spiritual, social and cultural meanings that maize has acquired in traditional communities. The curators were interested in, in challenging the narrow conception of life that reduces it to genetics. Um, so 
they wanted to work against a, a mechanicist view of life um, as the sum of units like genes, cells or organisms, um, and instead to construct a, an ecological relational perspective uh, in which no part is separable from a complex uh, dynamic whole. Um, so artists are also seeking to challenge and reverse other trends in what has been termed neoliberal science um, or by some post-academic science. Um, one of these um, is uh, hyper-specialization. Um, another is uh, the privatization of knowledge. Um, so bringing scientific processes and debates into the public sphere um, through exhibitions and events, um, that's obviously important here. Um, but there are two other approaches that are emerging very strongly in, in the work that I've been exploring. The first of these relates to amateur engagements with science. Um, for Stengers, these play a really crucial role in slow science. Um, and she calls for non-scientists to act as vital mediators and translators um, to help nurture public intelligence. And these people would also provide an important voice for those whose uh, lives or ways of life might be threatened by a decision. Um, and artists who engage with scientific practices are, are, are really well placed, I think, to perform uh, this kind of role. Some of the artists in the book are trained scientists themselves. Um, others have, have uh, undergone uh, sort of self-training in scientific methodologies and they share those with others. Um, art collectors like Colectivo El Biota, that you'll see on the slide here, um, run regular workshops to help other people learn about uh, plants that are native to their region, um, how to use sensors to understand more about the way that those plants interact with their environment. Um, Latin American art science projects are also invariably founded on the principle and the practice of knowledge as a commons. Um, a lot of them use open source uh, software and technologies um, that have been collaboratively uh, developed. Um, here you'll see an example of a collective that uses many of these technologies, such as Arduino. Um, in a context in which science has been thoroughly inserted into the knowledge economy, uh, these art science projects often pursue a kind of speculative science um, beyond what can be readily commercialized. Um, they aren't geared towards solving a particular problem. Um, their aim is usually to uh, challenge our thinking and our practices um, with respect to the natural world. Uh, so an example here would be the Nomadic Plants Project developed by Gilberto Esparza. Um, this is a bio-machine that converts uh, contaminated water into energy and cleans it of toxins. And here you can see it being trialed at the site of a very heavily polluted river in Mexico. Um, the robot is programmed to go in search of contaminated water. Uh, it sucks in that water and it filters it through a series of microbial fuel cells. And in those cells, bacteria oxidize the waste. Uh, they consume the oil, mercury and other toxins. And they generate small electrical voltages that are used to power the machine. Um, and as the machine operates, it creates um, small oases that attract insects and other organisms. Um, rebuilding a damaged ecosystem. Um, what's interesting here, I think, is that these nomadic plants are not uh, a solution that could be rolled out on factory lines 
uh, to solve the environmental problems of Mexico's waterways. And the aim of the project is to help us imagine a greater balance in relationships between technology and the environment. And what the project shows us actually is that we don't need technology to solve the problem of polluted water. And um, here the technology is simply facilitating the natural capacity of bacteria uh, to clean water of toxins. And everything about the design of the nomadic plants is focused on the efficient use of minimal energy. Um, and in this way, we could think of Esparza's project as a call for slow robotics. Um, robots in the commercial world are developed to give us um, ever greater speed, power and efficiency, um, but their production involves a lot of waste. Uh, the nomadic plants promote very different values, um, such as the recycling of waste, a careful, sustainable use of energy. Uh, and they also draw attention away from the power of human technology um, and towards the, the creative and regenerative energy of living organisms. Um, and this really emerges as the central theme in, in many recent art science projects in Latin America. Um, a lot of these artists emphasize the intelligence, um, the creativity, the agency of other species um, that are often much more successfully adapted to the environments than we are. Um, the Interspecifics Collective that I mentioned earlier, um, they develop audiovisual performances that are generated um, by the self-organizing activity of bacteria and slime molds. Um, these have a, a remarkable capacity to solve problems that humans find uh, difficult. Give you a short clip there. Um, so Kwai Shen, who is an artist from Ecuador, um, works with ants to draw attention to the complex social organization of ant communities. Um, and he traces some parallels with human societies, but he points to a crucial difference in the way that ants relate to their environment. Um, ants, he says, colonize land landscapes in a way that transforms them um, but also creates opportunities for other species to benefit from cohabiting and cooperating with them. And for this reason, Shen calls them uh, successful eco-engineers. Um, another artist from Ecuador, uh, Paul Rosero Contreras, uh, filmed a purple haze underwater near the volcanic vents of an island in the Galapagos. Um, this was part of a project in which he worked alongside two marine biologists um, who were investigating the resistance mechanisms of a particular species of coral. Um, and it's the study of symbiosis in, in corals in particular, um, but also other organisms um, that led to a paradigm change in biology. And, and the video uh, helps us understand uh, how this works by focusing on species as composites and communities um, that are linked through collaboration and co-evolution. And this, this undermines the emphasis on individual species that's marked uh, evolutionary thought since Darwin. Um, one of the consequences of this, this interest in non-human intelligence um, and interspecies cooperation is that these art science projects develop um, critical perspectives on discourses about the Anthropocene uh, that are very common today. Um, they very rarely show us uh, images of environmental disaster. 
you know, that are very common in media. And they don't fall into the anthropocentric trap of casting humans in the role either of destroying or saving the planet, um, both of which return to us too inflated, really, a sense of our own importance. And instead, they point to the agency of non-humans. Um, they help us imagine a future um, that is not anti-technological, um, but that uses technology to facilitate our knowledge um, of other species and our cooperation with them. And they draw on recent work in biology and ecology to look for paradigms in nature that are different to those on which Western modernity and capitalism have been founded. Um, capitalism is often justified as uh, an inevitable consequence of Darwinian competition, um, the survival of the fittest as a kind of implacable law of nature. Um, but for many biologists and ecologists, um, collaboration is becoming much more important than competition as a way of understanding evolution. Um, and this has inspired several artists to explore paradigms that might be more fitting uh, for a post-anthropocentric world. Um, so uh, studying multi-species communities uh, in art projects can help us think about the decolonial project of the pluriverse um, and how it could be understood as a socio-natural paradigm, you know, as well as just a political one. The pluriverse has been um, theorized by uh, Walter Mignolo, Enrique Dussel, Marisol de la Cadena, uh, among others, as a critique of what they call one world metaphysics. Um, so the pluriverse is composed, um, uh, quoting from them, um, of a multiplicity of worlds that are mutually entwined and co-constituted, but different. Um, the concept draws on the relational ontologies of Andean and Amazonian thought. Um, and it's mainly used to think about interactions between different human communities and epistemologies. Um, but I wanted to explore how the pluriverse might reach beyond human world makings. Um, and one of the ways that I do this in the book is um, by bringing together the work of uh, the Latin American theorist Arturo Escobar and the work of Tomás Araceno, uh, who explores the sensory worlds of spiders. And I know that Sasha Engelman has spoken very recently about Saraceno in this forum, so I won't say more about him now, but I'd be very happy to return to him uh, later. Um, Escobar uses the word um, sentipensar, um, feeling, thinking, um, used by activists in several parts of Latin America uh, to suggest a way of knowing that doesn't separate thinking from feeling reason from emotion, knowledge from caring. And this is another theme that emerges very strongly in this body of art science projects. Um, the relationship between knowledge and practices of care um, and the importance of reciprocity in both of those. Reciprocity is a very important paradigm um, in the way that it helps us move away from uh, the paternalism and the nostalgia uh, that informs a lot of conservation thinking um, today. So I'm going to stop there and um, yeah, hand back uh, for any discussion or questions that you might have. Thank you so much for that introduction, Joanna. This sounds like absolutely fan fabulous work um, to think about these kind of issues through this art science lens. Um, I, I know myself having gone to art science um, based museums and exhibits and worked on those. Um, you know, it's really intriguing to find people who are not scientists 
or who may have a scientific background, but they're being practicing artists, how they think about those issues. Um, so I think this is great. I was wondering a couple things as you were talking, then this issue on time and how the artists can perhaps play with or think about time differently than um, the scientists do. Um, and, and how did you see that manifested in the artworks that they produce? Um, and is, is it a tension of, of time or is it a, you know, adding another layer um, in what they're doing? Do you mean time in relation, just so that I'm understanding your question, in relation to the, the slow science, the slow robotics yes, that I was talking right. about? Right, and thinking about, and I guess it really relates as you come to about care also, because a lot of times this thinking about um, slow time, deep time um, is also related to care uh, in, in a very clear way. Um, so I was wondering if you could say more about that in these artworks. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a crucial um, a crucial concept, really. And the idea of slow, I, I think, acquires different dimensions. One of them is obviously to um, act as a form of uh, critical engagement with the speed of global capitalism, right? Searching for uh, new kinds of relation that aren't captured by this search for ever greater efficiency. The the you know, capitalism's quest to annihilate space and time uh, in order to make things more competitive uh, for the purposes of trade, etc. So there's a, a critique there, I think, embedded of uh, embedded in, in there that has to do with the speed of, uh, of kind of contemporary capitalism. But also it, it is very related to care in the sense that I think the idea behind slow science and the idea behind a number of these projects has to do with a, a reweaving of connections that have been broken. Um, and that takes time. It takes time and it takes uh, collaboration. So I think one of the reasons that many of these artists work in the context of collectives um, is so that actually multiple perspectives can be brought together on a project. There's also often a lot of um, uh, public intervention, uh, conversations, dialogues with, with um, in educational establishments, for example, uh, or in workshops run themselves. So there's a kind of sense of collaboration that is built into the very fabric of these um, projects. And the aim of that, I think often, is to reconnect things that have been uh, torn apart in the evolution of, of modern science, to think more holistically um, about how scientific solutions may or may not um, fit into different societies, different cultures. Um, yeah, to, to rethink those connections, I think. And time actually emerges as a, as a really important aspect of many of the, uh, the, the acts of spectatorship that these projects demand as well. So just to give you an example, let me see if I can uh, reshare um, my screen here. So it's just on the last slide. Um, so down on the right here, you see the um, habitable drawing. It's called by Lina uh, Espinosa. So this is an example of a work where actually it requires a certain investment of, of time on our part as a spectator. Um, it's a 
uh, a living sculpture in which if you look very carefully, you can see tiny little ghost shrimps um, and other micro tiny organisms floating around in, in the water that are interacting with this wider ecosystem that's there with the, the aquatic plants. Um, it, it's, there are often these projects uh, aren't interested in developing sort of large scale spectacles, um, but opportunities for us to look more closely um, in ways that take time and take uh, require us to change our perspective, you know, in different ways. So I think there's a number of ways in which the idea of slowness uh, becomes really important. And as you say, very much linked with that idea of, of, of care. Um, Great. Um, I was wondering then in that, do you think there's, or what is it that is specific about Latin America then in this story? Would it be the same in other, you know, is it a colonized places story? Um, or is, is there something about Latin America and, and your reading of their particular history, culture, background that leads you know, to, to these particular kinds of, of artwork? I think there's a lot of different ways that you could answer that uh, question. Um, I think in part, it is a, uh, a set of practices that might be find, found in a number of colonized regions in the world. Latin America, of course, has a particular relationship with Western modernity um, in uh, the long history that it had um, of European colonization. Um, the fact that its uh, independence was not wrought in the same way uh, as in other regions of the world. Um, the, the kind of continued um, difficulty of uh, self-expression on the parts of indigenous people because of inequality that is very deeply ingrained in society after hundreds of years, et cetera. There's, there's a particularly strong critique of modernity that is articulated from uh, within Latin America that I think very much you know, informs these projects and gives them a, a critical context. One of the things that, that I think is very uh, noticeable about this corpus, if you compare it with uh, corpuses of art science projects from North America or Europe, for example, is that, um, as I said, there's very little investment in the immediately spectacular. Um, there's also very little experimentation with gene-based art. So for example, a number of contexts doing art science projects in North America, Australia, Europe, um, there's a number of artists who are working on transgenic projects, um, how to manipulate organisms using your know, latest scientific advances in your transgenic uh, technologies. One of the things I noticed about these artists is that they are much less interested in thinking about how we can modify species. Um, much more interested in thinking about how can we establish different forms of relationship between species that already exist? How can we think about species within communities rather than our increasing power to modify the genetics of species themselves? So in many ways, they're acting in contravention to some of the, uh, the, the kind of gene art shows that have been very popular in many parts of the world. That, that's just a couple of ways in which to answer your question, but I'm sure there would be others. 
Well, that's really interesting. And I think it leads well to Micah had a question um, that she was wondering in the chat is, is given the politicization of science, right, in recent rhetoric, that somehow scientists are, you know, either Democrats or Republicans, like in the US of, oh, either you're, yeah, um, you, you end up with this kind of, oh, with the climate uh, issue that somehow people are, are being political when they're expressing their science. Does her question is that given that situation, can artists and humanists afford to still be critical of science in these collaborations, or does it somehow feed into that rhetoric? I think that's a really, really important question. Um, and it's something that I looked at uh, in one part of the book where I was talking about um, the, the kind of interventions that have been made by Bruno Latour as a theorist of um, the sociology of science, if you like, um, over, over a number of decades. And it was very interesting to see a, a shift in his career. That he started off by um, pointing out how a lot of scientific knowledge is socially constructed, okay, that scientific facts are political, uh, that they're shaped by the different meanings that we give to science, um, that even what scientific research takes place or doesn't take place is the result of funding decisions that are made on criteria that are not just scientific, etc. Um, but then you can chart a change in his approach, and, and, and part of that is to do with climate change. Um, and he talks about the fact that we need to be much more alert now to the dangers of undermining scientific expertise, you know, particularly in relation to, to climate change. Um, so actually, rather than in, in his more recent work, rather than helping us identify how science is not really objective, because it's caught up in these kind of broader social forces, really what he's trying to do in his more recent work is make those reconnections by saying that actually science speaks most truthfully and most accurately when it's reconnected with the world outside of the laboratory. So that actually it's not about undermining the science of climate change, but it's that thinking about how does that science get inserted in society? You know, what are the conditions in which we can understand that science and, and how does it interact with political discourses, um, etc. And I think that that's part of the reason that I mentioned these artists are not because many of them are interested in environmental issues, they're not discrediting science at all. And in fact, they're, 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 much of their work is shaped in scientific inquiry. What they're interested in doing is that this gets us so far, but we need to go beyond. We need to think about the relationships between science and culture, for example, science and, and, and thought, um, you know, in order to help science reconnect, you know, with, with other elements of society. I was interested in knowing a bit more about that because I was intrigued uh, when you talked earlier about um, amateur involvement in science. So anyway, citizen science projects too, because uh, we we run a project in that here. So we're looking at you know the in a way the development of the the citizen. Because very often in these projects, what you see is that the the amateurs involved they become in a way a sensor, a way of generating knowledge. I mean that's the use they have in the science projects. Whereas we are interested in understanding then how do you make citizens through involvement in, in science projects. So do you see some particular interventions there that not about you know, producing knowledge, but that's about producing people? I mean, you, you touched on it, certainly, but I'd be interested in hearing more examples if you have some. 
Yeah, I mean, that that uh, perspective sounds absolutely fascinating. And I think that's, you know, it's really crucial work. Um, one of the things that I find interesting about a number of these projects is that it was very difficult sometimes to distinguish between these projects and citizen science projects. Um, that actually often they're using the same methodologies. Um, in many respects, I think um, that the uh, presentation of them as art rather than science um, may make it more possible for them to reach a different kind of audience. You know, an audience that may step into an art gallery, but may not so readily go to science museum. I've no idea. Um, so I think sometimes it's very similar methodologies, but um, uh, aiming at slightly different audiences or a slightly broader um, audience. I think there's I think they're responding to a growing understanding, isn't there, that actually um, we are only going to navigate this crisis, these multiple crises that we're in by developing multiple multiple literacies um, that actually being a citizen you know in this world uh it's not sufficient to say i'm an artist i'm a scientist it's beholden on all of us to develop you know to the extent that we're able to um these multiple multiple literacies that aren't just um transdisciplinary they also need to be transcultural and i i think here's also the importance of of you know understanding some of this work that comes from other regions of the world that actually we need to understand how uh, science uh, makes citizens in other regions of the world, what it what it means to be a global citizen, but also what it means to means to be a citizen of a specific region that may be affected very differently by climate change, for example. Um, I think these are absolutely massive questions, um, but it's one of the things that I found that I felt personally very challenged by, you know, uh, doing this research with the artists is their dedication to learning uh, about new fields um, and the importance that they saw that they needed to educate themselves, you know, in, in, to, in order to be able to understand really how things worked. Um, but also at the same time, really engaged in their local communities, the value of art as a form of education. Um, all of that, I, I, you know, I found very, very inspiring and very challenging. Well, you mentioned there, um, you know, this kind of tension between being a, a global environmental citizen, right, and and very local, that all these practices, um, these environmental relations are always grounded in yeah. the place where we are, right? Um, and so that leads well into, Anamesh had a question um, in the chat or a comment about um, the the non-humans then that these artists are engaging with and making a point that these non-human actors in the local ecologies are seen as important then to bring forward where if we think to you know the history of colonization um, colonizers have often seen local ecologies as problematic those are the things that should be wiped out and you should then bring in um, controllable known ecologies rather than those local ones. Um, so that tension, so do, do you have more thoughts about how that kind of localization um, of non-humans works for your actors? Yeah, I mean, I think the localization is absolutely crucial because I, th I think that these massive changes that were brought about through colonization 
the massive ecological changes just don't come into view unless you really look at local systems and, and how they've changed. Um, and the, 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 the huge changes that were brought about uh, by uh, Europeans in Latin America, the way that they brought over uh, uh, plants from the old world to the new animals, etc., um, that completely changed you know, many of the, the landscapes. And you can see the, the, the uh, it's not even just traces, you can see the continuity you know, of that today in, in different forms of agriculture, um, et cetera. So I think, I, I think we're starting to understand, and you know, that there have been sort of individual voices in the past talking about these people like Alfred Crosby, for example, and when he talked about the, the Colombian exchange. But I think there's now a, a, a much stronger kind of gathering of a collective sense um, of the relationship between uh, colonialism and uh, environmental issues and that the, the huge ecological changes that accompanied uh, colonization where, where in the past perhaps we've been focused much more on human histories. Um, so I think that these are absolutely crucial and I think that it's only really through the local um, that we can understand the, the depth and, uh, and breadth of those changes and, and also how they affect the human communities living uh, in those areas you know in turn. And one of the things I think when we think about that local, that situated knowledge is, of course, that a lot of that is not just um, book knowledge, but it's in mm. fact kind of it's it's sensory, it's physical, it's present. And so Gabriella had a question in the chat about that, um, the artists working on sensory work. So how you sense, how you know the environment in these non-traditional book uh fashions and in particular thinking about also how that might connect to emotions right how we feel and and care about the environment so did you find that that was a strong thread then in these in these artists of of an actual physical sensing yeah of the environment Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the things that we could um, note about these projects um, in relation to what they bring that is perhaps a unique perspective. Um, the way in which art science projects are uh, able to develop that sense of the, the sensory, the aesthetic, um, that sense often of being completely involved in the objects of our knowledge, that it isn't uh, separate from us. Um, in the way that often we've been taught from a scientific perspective, you know, to detach our perspective from the object of knowledge, because if we don't, what we're, we're not producing neutral knowledge. So these artists are not interested in neutral knowledge because neutral knowledge has um, got us where we are today. And I, I mean that in a, in a positive sense as well as a negative sense. Obviously, the huge benefits have been brought by that kind of neutral abstract uh, knowledge. Uh, the calculations the, the, uh, that have been possible, the technologies that have been possible because of that. But their emphasis is much more on, on thinking about how do we immerse ourselves again in an object that we are not disconnected from? And because this is also part of understanding our role within a broader environment, right? That we are not disconnected from it, we are part of it. Um, so a lot of these artists are interested in thinking about knowledge and cognition as embodied, um, always embodied, in fact, even if we think that it is not, that it's always embodied, um, that it's also always ecological, that, that our knowledge comes from um, our senses, 
um, always, and it comes from our relations with our environment, you know, other species and, and uh, the, the non-living environment as well. Um, and that's something that I think artists are able to condense for us, you know, in a particular way. Um, to, to show us and help us to experience again that sense of um, entanglement in, in our environment, knowledge that's of something that is not separable from uh, sensing, from perception, from, from the way that we live you know, in our environment. Now, I've seen, uh, I mean, similar art projects, examples pop up, you know, here and there around the world. Uh, of course, I don't know whether some of these artists would have been Latin American uh, and just seeing them elsewhere. But could you, have you thought about, you know, is there something unique, something specific about the Latin American context that makes these themes so, I mean, so interesting and relevant for you uh, or maybe even powerful for the rest of the world to, to learn from? Yeah, so I think one of the one of the things I would say there is the the lived experience in Latin America of the relationship that we were talking about just now between colonization and environmental issues, um, and the way in which you know governments since independence in many countries of Latin America have um, preserved intact uh, that those power structures, that sense of inequality um, that that makes it very difficult to address those ecological problems that, that arise. Um, I think that's something that is, is um, very difficult to ignore <laughs> if you're living in that region. Um, yeah, so I would say that that's something um, that, is, that is very key. I think what one of the other, um, it, I don't think this is limited to Latin America, but one of the um, themes, if you like, that came through very strongly was this a sense of, um, the abundance and uh, the abundance and the capacity of nature to renew itself, um, which is perhaps not something that if you're living in the urban north, uh, you would be confronted with, you know, perhaps so uh, much. Um, but the idea of the resilience of nature, the adaptability of it, the creativity of it um the proliferation of it all of these things i th i think these perspectives are, are crucial really in, in in thinking about the anthropocene because too often we we think about nature as fragile and and simply uh vulnerable to our own actions and of course in some respects that it is um, but we also need to understand nature's agency and the way that it can recover renew uh we simply need to step out of the way you know, in many cases. And so I think there's an important corrective there um, that, you know, perhaps isn't uh, unique to Latin America, but maybe is more common in those areas of the world um, where, you know, that there are vast tracts of <laughs> uninhabited land, for example. Um, I wanted to ask about time too, because uh, you didn't, I think, mention, you know, when uh, they're from these examples. So do you see like this development over time? Has there been more with, you know, the rise of the Anthropocene discourse uh, so on? Can, can you say a little bit about, you know, that in a way, the timeline of your examples? What's the older ones? Uh, sure. Sure. The, the, the book focuses very much on um, very recent projects you know, really from, well, from 2000, but most of them are really from in the last 10 years. Um, and 
part of the uh, reason for doing this is that there has been a recent rise, a recent wave in these kinds of projects that are bringing art and science together, but particularly with an environmental focus. Um, I'm sure that that is connected to you know, the rise in um, uh, concern of, you know, about the environment at local and global uh, levels. It's also a rise, I think, in interest in transdisciplinarity you know, uh, within academia, but also outside of it, many of these artists have a foot in academia somehow. Uh, they either teach at university or, or often their uh, projects are funded um, by universities. So they're very much um, uh, thinking in dialogue with what's going on, you know, in the academic world um, as well. Um, obviously, art science, there, you know, throughout time, there have been uh, projects that have crossed the boundaries between art and science, and the two have, have very much influenced each other. So I, I wouldn't want to suggest that this is an entirely new phenomenon at all. But I think what there is, is a, a recent uh, new wave of interest, um, and also one that, that involves a lot of amateur scientists, where artists simply train themselves and get involved in you know, creating experiments in their bathrooms or their kitchens or um, what, with whatever they have to hand, um, often with very low budgets. All right, Brigitte has a question. I'll unmute you there. So, Thank you very much for your presentation. Uh, I'm a dance artist, I'm a choreographer, and I work with Pam Bernard in Cambridge. I don't know if you know her. Um, I have been working with the Kurikur, the indigenous people in Amazon, and I have made a dance performance about broad <laughs> with Brazilian dancers and dancers from Scandinavian and musicians from Brazil. And um, I would like, we are working with the dance and music ritual from the Kurikur, where the interconnectedness between the human and the non-human is very obvious. <laughs> They paint themselves with the nature and they take contact with the cobra to clean their houses and they make a lot of interconnection and uh, yeah, with the nature when they do their rituals. And we have taken some of that into our performance with very deep respect and, and got, yeah, yes, from, from them and so on. I was just want to ask you, what, what do you think about these more uh, performances where you are working different with artists. Here we are talking about dancers and musicians and, and visual artists. Mm. That sounds really fascinating. I would love to, to learn more about it. The, um, yeah, I mean, I'm aware that obviously with the, the focus that I had in the book, it was on a very specific and um, well-defined corpus of artworks that were uh, exploring scientific methodologies. But alongside those, you could put um, a huge number of very important um, uh, recent trends in art that have got a lot more to do with performance and that particularly link uh, questions of performance and, and activism, you know, in different ways in relation to the environment. And I think that question, obviously, of the human and the non-human, particularly in the context of the Amazon, you know, where there are um, you know, very active uh, communities promoting different philosophies 
um, about the relationships between humans and non-humans. Um, I, I think all of that is is uh, incredibly important to be to be studying and to be involved in. Um, there was an artist duo that I, I did work on from Colombia, whose work, although it was using kind of scientific uh, mediums, they were very interested in the kinds of um, traditional knowledge that came from uh, some of the groups that they studied in the Amazon. They, they uh, did a lot of field work um, in the Amazon, working alongside um, elders of communities um, who, who taught them, you know, in many ways. And they brought some of that those ideas back into their own work. And uh, a couple of uh, artists from Argentina similarly have spent a lot of time with uh, indigenous communities bringing some of those ideas back into their own work but yes it would be fascinating to to think of some of these much more much uh, these broader connections and obviously performance is a is a, a particularly uh, strongly embodied way to think about um you know how art can 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 yeah can help us uh, understand interconnectivity and entanglement in you know really different ways. Hmm. Yeah, there's also coming out a book in November called Performing Research. Okay, that's where I'm I'm writing a chapter about my work together with some other artists. <laughs> oh, I'll I'll look out for that. That sounds great. Yeah, but thank you. It's yeah very interesting. I'm also working with scientists like uh, anthropologists like Carlo Fasto, and so okay. I do know them from yes, yes. From Rio. yes. So I also have scientists with me, but I have done my fieldwork yeah with the Kurukuru by me and some guidance from them also. Great, great. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that and to seeing the results. Thank you. Well, so to, to follow up um, on that, um, I was wondering how your artists, do they self-identify or do some of them self-identify as indigenous in some way or are they drawing on, um, yeah, I mean, it becomes complicated, I think, in Latin America as to what, what you know, what the relationship is of indigenous versus not indigenous. Um, yeah, and that you have Spanish heritage, or, or you know, where is that? So I was wondering how that works in in the case of these artists. Yeah, so so none of the artists that I worked on for the book um, uh, were indigenous or would identify indig as indigenous themselves. Um, I did look as far as I was able to, um, for any indigenous artists that were also working with scientific um, methodologies. Um, the fact that I couldn't find any, I mean, it doesn't of course mean that there aren't any. Um, they may have a less of a uh, web presence or, or be less integrated into uh, national artistic uh, communities, for example. It's also at least possible that because of the, the very differing um, relationships that um, Indigenous people have with national education systems, etc., that, that it might be less likely that that would be a medium that they would choose. Um, that they might choose other media, for example, and a lot of Indigenous artists very much involved in um, different forms of, of, of art, um, in particular in relation to environmental activism, etc. Um, but that, that was something that I noted in, in research, so that the artists that I was looking at, um, many of them are very strongly engaged with uh, Indigenous communities, um, but they're not members of that, those communities um, themselves. 
Really interesting. Um, I was just wondering, I guess, as a last kind of question, um, to find out what you are doing next. So where, where does one go from that book? Um, you know, do you, do you yeah, expand? Do you move into some other area? You know, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I, I'm writing the next um, book at the moment. Um, and it's going to be a book that is in some ways um, connected with some of the main themes of this book in that it's looking at uh, decolonial um, perspectives um, and also questions of the re uh, relationship between humans and, and nature. But it's taking a different perspective. I'm not looking so much at works that are uh, using scientific uh, methodologies. Um, so it's going to bring together um, uh, the work of contemporary artists who are uh, sort of revising um, ways in which nature has been ordered and categorized in the past. So one chapter, for example, looks at um, how contemporary artists are using the form of the medieval bestiary uh, to think about um, the loss of biodiversity in the present. Um, there's another chapter looking at um, how they're um, reworking 18th century uh, floras and herbaria, you know, to think about how, how our understanding of um, botany has changed and how it might respond to new moments in uh, kind of history of global trade. Um, I'm also looking at sort of new iterations of cabinets of curiosities, um, but also at the moment I'm working on a chapter in which um, artists have retraced the footsteps of um, scientists, uh, traveling scientists who went to Latin America from Europe, and how they're revising those journeys, um, going on them again, retracing them, but also for very different uh, reasons, and often again to sort of reconnect scientific ideas with um, uh, different disciplines, different forms of knowledge, etc. So it's a very different body of material, but I still want to be um, deepening, I guess, my understanding of how the decolonial can be thought in relation to um, ecological concerns, you know, of the moment. Well, that sounds absolutely fantastic, and I'd, I'd love to find out how they're, yeah, going through these these historical travels using old um, techniques because I yeah I think that it, it really lends itself to uh, creative intervention um, to be able to do those kind of projects so this sounds like great work and hopefully um, in I'm gonna say post COVID times you'll be able to go do some uh, site work in, in Latin America that, that would be good that would be good I mean that's that's the problem with many of these projects right so um, but I, I thank you very much for coming and, and talking about your book today. Um, this has been a wonderful discussion. It is open access book, so for those of you um, out there, uh, go to UCL uh, Press uh, website. You can um, download Joanna Page's book. Um, and so thank you very much for coming and talking to us. Thank you. It was a real pleasure and great to hear all of your questions and comments.